Good morning. Today's reading is from Nehemiah 5, 14 through 19. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Every day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor, because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. This is the word of the Lord. It was December 31st. 1972, that the most famous, even today, Hispanic player to ever enter the major leagues and really rise to the top in the United States, was delivering relief goods to Nicaragua when the plane crashed in the ocean and he died. His name was Roberto Clemente. Roberto Clemente's, well, his career is remarkable, but he's more remarkable than his career. When Roberto Clemente came to this country and began to make money that no one in his home country could imagine, he set about to look for those who had great needs and to satisfy the need considered it his responsibility as a person of new wealth to share with others. Matter of fact, he made a statement to the effect that if you see someone in need and do not help that person, you're not living a full life. That was his disposition. Unfortunately, the reason he was on the plane to Nicaragua that day is because he had already sent relief supplies to Nicaragua after a devastating earthquake in 1972. And what he found out is that the relief was diverted. The goods didn't go to the people. As a matter of fact, that's really not uncommon, is it? We hear of this kind of thing all the time. I read one account of an individual who lived in another country, and he said, it's so common, there's a phrase for it. When a person rises to the top out of poverty and becomes a very strong political leader, they will often say, it's my time to eat. Now, at one level, you can understand, having risen from poverty, not having enough to eat, they say, it's my time to eat. 
But of course, it means much more than that. They frequently live extravagant lifestyles, and they heavily oppress the very poor that they used to be, all for personal gain. That story is repeated not only in different parts of the world, but even this country as well. People who gain political supremacy or just inordinate wealth tend to either hoard it for themselves or disdain the poor that they used to be. The story of Nehemiah is the exact opposite of that. The story of Nehemiah is a governor who did not do what leaders like we've described have done routinely. As a matter of fact, the history that Nehemiah stepped into was different than his own history, his own personal history. For years before he had arrived as governor in this region, the governors who were there took from the people. They placed heavy burdens upon them. They lived lavish lifestyles. They even persecuted their own people as governors in that region. As a matter of fact, there was no higher level of office than a governor. Because the governor was appointed over a region and everyone was under him. He was, in effect, a dictator for a faraway king. The position, by the way, was not under constant media scrutiny as it is today. So as you can imagine, constant media scrutiny, even though it's difficult, even though we chafe against it at times, it creates accountability among those who are at the highest level of office. There was virtually no accountability for Nehemiah or those who had preceded him not in the contemporary media sense that we know today. So Nehemiah, when he assumes this responsibility, he's entering a very dangerous territory of promotion and success. One particular author, um, a historian, essayist, Thomas Carlyle, said this about promotion and success. He said, adversity is sometimes hard on a man. But for a man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred who will stand adversity. Translation, prosperity is far more dangerous than adversity. Nehemiah entered that very difficult world of prosperity and promotion. He was, in effect, something of a dictator. But what was Nehemiah's approach with his position of power and wealth? And he had both. His approach was this. He said, I did not do what previous governors did. Why? Because I thought it was wrong. That probably was true, but he didn't say that. He said, I did not do what previous governors did because I feared the Lord. Because I had reverence for the God who had allowed me to be in this position. That's an interesting statement in itself. Further, he said, 
I devoted myself to the building of the wall. That's all that concerned me. I wasn't interested in wealth. I didn't do those things because I had one singular focus. It was build the wall for the people. As a matter of fact, he, uh, he gives some very specific information to us concerning his approach to the problem. Instead, he says in verse 16, I devoted myself to the work of this wall. All the men were assembled there for the work and we did not require any land. Furthermore, listen to this. You heard it, but hear it again. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table. My table. As well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. In other words, the Jewish population and the alien population who were helping to construct this wall ate at his table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, every 10 days, an abundance of wine of all kinds. I would imagine that he figured they better do that only on the 10th day, you know, to keep the progress going on the wall. The wall might have been a little more crooked if they had wine every day. In other words, Nehemiah is saying, I gave them everything. And you know what's more? As you read this account, you realize he didn't use the king's allowance to do this. He rightfully could have used the king's allowance to do this, but he refused to do it. Probably because the king's allowance was so heavily connected to taxes on the people. Instead, out of his own personal wealth, he served the people as they served the future of this nation. A remarkable man. There are many points to this story, but I just want to lift briefly three. The first major point I see in this story is that he focused on the greatness of the project. Or to put it another way, he didn't focus on himself. He didn't take from himself. He didn't promote himself. He focused on the project. And if you're going to focus on a major project like Nehemiah was focusing on, for the purpose of others... Sacrifices are going to be necessary. Sacrifices for great causes are always necessary. And Nehemiah understood that and he embraced it. Furthermore, sacrifices, when you're involved in a great project or even a small one, sacrifices help us focus on the things that are important. When we sacrifice for a cause, it's... Not as easy to think about other things because the sacrifice relates to the one thing, the great cause. There's also something else that sacrifice does in a great cause. It diminishes selfishness. It might not because it's not a complete cure. But it's certainly a deterrent. When you're not thinking about yourself, 
You're making the sacrifice for others. It's a deterrent to selfishness. So let me pause to say thank you to you. All of you here and those listening online, I want to say thank you for sacrificing for this church. I want to say thank you for helping us rebound this year, which was a difficult year, and almost completely meet budget. Thank you for your sacrifice. I know the cost of living is high. I know all of us are feeling it. But you continue to give sacrificially. Thank you. And not only that, many people continue to give sacrificially to a particular fund that we raise money for every year. It's our missions budget. And because you have given sacrificially to our missions budget, on August 16th, I, I get to fly to Ghana for the grand opening of a hospital that David Mintz's vision has brought to fruition. By the way, we talk about that periodically. Did you know that we were the first church to ever join him in his first project some 30 years ago? And now because of your faithful support, we contributed a lot to this particular hospital. I, I have the great benefit of watching the celebration and thinking of your sacrifice and your generosity. So thank you. The second lesson, it seems to me, that comes out of this passage. Notice that Nehemiah's ethic, there's a lot of talk about ethics. Nehemiah's ethic was reverence for the Lord. Plain and simple. I did this out of reverence for the Lord. Some translations say the fear of the Lord. The North Star for Nehemiah's ethic was God. God. This is absolutely essential, my friends, to our Christian faith. We are an ethical people because and when we follow Christ the King. All we need to be ethical is to follow Christ. And every ethic around us is subservient to service to Christ our King. Which means that when ethics change in our secular society, we should not primarily ask whether or not it's a good shift or not. We should ask, what should we do or be in relationship to Christ our King? Put it differently, it makes no difference that something is legal 
or okay according to our secular standards. That doesn't matter. Not for Christ followers. Christ followers, to use the old adage that got really worn out as a wristband, is what would Jesus do? That's our ethic. By the way, for for those of you who uh, are listening to this and think I'm trying to denigrate ethics as a discipline, I'm not. I think it's a wonderful discipline. It asks questions that we don't ask. It, It delves into issues that we've never even considered. I get that. I'm just saying our loyalty as to our lifestyle ethic is directly related to Jesus Christ our Lord. Third lesson from this passage is Nehemiah refused to be corrupted by fame and prosperity. He did not put himself above others. He did not lord over them. Instead, he served them at his own table with his own funds. If you're thinking with me, you're probably thinking of the words of Jesus when he admonished his disciples on leadership. He said, don't be like the Gentile power brokers who lord it over those who are subservient to them. Instead, your leadership ought to be about service, not lording over anyone Finally, I I want to make a comment about the whole of this chapter, last week and this week. Here it is. Chapter 5 describes three things related to money. Power, fame, money, all of it together, okay? Three things. One, speaking of money, those who need it. It's the poor. And God protects the poor as we should. In light of that, I I think it's a helpful reminder to live by a mandate that looks something like this. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. I'm talking about money now. Just because we can buy it doesn't mean we should buy it. Is there anything wrong with buying it? No, most of the time not. But should we? That's a Christian approach to money. I wonder what it would be like, and I thought about this week, this idea, and I, I didn't like the idea, even though I thought of it, but I'm going to be transparent and tell you what the idea was. I, I wonder what it would be like if every time we were ready to make, you define major purchase. Every time we were ready to make a major purchase, 
Before we made it, we paused in silence for 30 seconds to consider others who have great need. I I don't do that, my friends. I make the purchase. I don't just stop to think about those who are in great need. How simple is that? And maybe how transformative it would be if I did it. Here's the second thing I thought. One of the problems of preaching to a bunch of people is that they'll ask you about your own standards later. The really hard thing is preaching in front of your wife who's looking at you when you make these statements and you know you can't get by with it. Here's the second statement. Suppose before every major purchase. I took the value, dollar value of the purchase. And I said, for that purchase, purchase, I'm going to set aside 10% for somebody in need. What if I had a fund like that? What if I gave that 10% at the end of every six months to the deacons or to the missions or to the church budget or By the way, you can do this. Or if you call me and say, do you know anybody who has a need? I can tell you who they are. What what if we did that? Man, that would change the way we live. So first, as it relates to money, in chapter five, we see people who need it. We have to ask our question, what is our response to the need? The second thing about chapter five and money is that we encounter people who idolize it. They don't need it, they idolize it. And what they want is more and more and more. And they want the status, they want fame. There was a a famous actor, much older actor, who died at 87. His name was Wilfred Hyde. And when he died, some of his own words were used in his obituary. And these were his words. I've owned 12 horses seven Rolls Royces, and I've had mistresses in Paris, London, and New York, and it never made me happy. What an obituary. Yeah, none of us are at that level of wealth. That's not the point. Not the point at all. No matter what we have, We can have the same attitude. More, more, more. That's not a Christian attitude. 
The third thing we notice about money, first is those who needed it. Second is those who idolize it. And in chapter five, near the end, we see those who share it. And of course, that was Nehemiah and many, many other people. For Nehemiah, instead of living extravagantly, he lived generously. You know, the early church was known for this characteristic above many other things. Their generosity to others, they always supplied the needs for the poor. I think, I think I'm right about this. We should follow their example. And the example of Nehemiah. We should focus on a singular cause to reduce the possibility of selfishness. And we should focus all our resources on taking care of ourselves, yes, but helping others and helping the cause. I think that's what Christ calls us to. Don't you? It's a tall order, but I think it brings joy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the grace that we receive in sacrifice. Of course, we remember the greatest sacrifice, which came through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and then we're asked to emulate you. So our mission is directly related to your kingdom, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our approach to that mission is to sacrifice for that cause and to care for others. So Lord, instead of us living extravagantly and selfishly, help us to live generously. Help us to focus on a singular cause and to live our life for you. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.